Well, you can probably guess which verse I'm going to start with today. Haven't been able to get away from this one since the beginning of the year. Acts chapter 2, if you haven't worn that part out yet, we'll return there again today for a short time. Acts chapter 2, just as a reminder for everyone, we, we saw some incredible events that occurred in the first chapter and a half of Acts, the establishment of the very first and early church. We have a summary of some of the activities that they engaged in, and we've been efforting to study and to preach and to understand how that is applied to our church today. I spent the first two Sundays looking at what it means to fellowship with each other. And some of the testimonies that were just shared are demonstrations of that. Fellowship is vital. Fellowship is how God made us. It's absolutely necessary for who we are. It's absolutely necessary for us as we walk through this challenging life together. We were not left alone. We were given each other. We talked about doctrine and how important right doctrine is, how essential that is to the functioning of a church and how much we must study that. Last week we talked about prayer and what that means and why it's important. And this week we're going to talk about breaking of bread and sharing in that fellowship. So Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter at this time. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and good, and parted them to men as every man has need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising the Lord and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be be saved. And here we see a a beautiful passage. I've read bits and parts of that, and I'm sure the last few weeks I've read all of it. But when you see that together, you see a beautiful image of what the church was doing. They were doing these things steadfastly, continuously, daily. These were not activities they did every day other day or every month, but they were things that they did constantly together. And it should be no different for us today. We should be making an effort to do these things constantly. Now we see in verse 46, there's a discussion here. It says, they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house and to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I probably don't have to spend a lot of time, being as we're Baptists, talking about the importance of having food together. We like to do that. We like to do it really well, I think. I'm quite partial to some of the things that go on here. 
And that's absolutely essential. And I think what we see here is uh, two meanings to this phrase. I think we're going to talk about breaking of bread. And I think that does mean that they took communion together, as we'll see here in a minute. But I also think it means that they went to each other's houses and practiced that fellowship and eating together. We do that today. Sometimes we go to each other's houses. Sometimes some of us will go out after a service. And often we will fellowship with each other and have a meal here. And all of that is good and right and proper and encouraging. We must fellowship in this way. And I'm very, very thankful to everyone who worked so diligently to prepare for us to do that from time to time. And I'm glad we do it as much as we do. But this section, as I said, this chapter uh, deals more than just with having a meal together at each other's houses. I do believe it has a reference to communion or the Lord's Supper. I preached the last time we had the Lord's Supper. I had uh, sat down and I thought, boy, you know, I call it Lord's Supper. I've heard it called communion. I've heard it called different things. Surely one of these things is right. And then I got to looking and realized there's about six different terms or phrases and none of them are incorrect. And some of them have different meanings. So just a review from about a few months ago. It can be called the Lord's Table. And from this, we are to learn that we should submit to the Lord, to His table, to His table alone. It can be called the Lord's Supper, as is very common, and that is certainly how we remember His death on the cross. It's referred to as the breaking of the bread, and by that we celebrate His resurrection and His presence with us. It can be called communion. And this is an opportunity for us to confess our sins and reconcile not only with each other, but with Him as well, so that we can commune and be one together with each other and with Him. And be called the Eucharist, which is the Greek term. And by this, it's talking about a celebration, one in which we give thanks for the victory that Christ had and the hope of His return. And James is called a love feast, which sounds funny to us, but again, it's this idea that we have a deep and abiding affection for each other as fellow believers and that we enjoy each other's company and do this as one together. Today, I want to focus on the breaking of the bread and the communion concepts, if you will. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, we see the account of the first communion or Lord's Supper together that Christ instituted. We see in Matthew chapter 26 that Christ has entered uh, the city. There's great fanfare that went on. He had a a hero's welcome, if you will, for at least a short time, only a short time later to be met with jeers of crucify him by probably some of the same people. I'm always reminded when I come this way, would I have been any different? Would I have gotten swept up in it and shattered Hosanna and praised him, and then only days later yelled, crucify him. Probably not. The beauty is that God loves us anyway. So he gathers his disciples in the upper room. In 26, beginning with verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my 
blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink thereof of the fruit of this vine until that day when I will drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And in verse 30 concludes, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And so in these short few verses, and in another place in Luke as well, we see the idea of the Lord's Supper or communion being established by Jesus Christ, extending the importance of the Passover meal, which is what they were celebrating, and making application to Himself and proclaiming who, in fact, He was. And so we are reminded in this of the importance of what we will be doing here shortly. And it brings a lot of meaning into the concept of Passover. We see that he tells us that the bread is representation of his broken body, which probably only a few hours later would in fact be falsely arrested and falsely accused, dragged before a number of people for several um, trials that were not done according to Hebrew or um, uh, Roman customs violating law over and over again. And within a very short amount of time, he's, his body would be uh, broken and bruised, somewhat beyond recognition. His beard would be pulled from his face. He would be beaten time and time again until at last he is nailed to a cross and crucified. And so in a very real sense, his body is in fact broken on our behalf. And the key to all of this is not only that it had to be done this way, that he had to be uh, both fully man and fully God so that he could in fact die, yet, but he was without sin so that his body and his blood would be broken and shed for us that we could have, as he says, the remissions of sin, the forgiveness of our sin. And we have all Sin. The scripture makes that abundantly clear, and all you have to do is turn on the news, and you see it over and over again. And all, if any of us have to do, is really consider whether our outward actions or our inward thoughts on a day-to-day, many of them are sin. And we must be forgiven from that. Why? Because to have a restored fellowship with God... To know God and for Him to know us, to receive uh, the uh, forgiveness that we had, we need, we had to have a sacrifice and it had to be Jesus Christ. And He had to be willing to sacrifice His body and shed His blood on our behalf. And the scriptures tell us not only that he was willing to do it, but that he went to the cross joyfully. And that joy is because he knew that he was restoring or giving in remission of sin so that we could know him. He was fulfilling his purpose, his calling to do what his father had told him to do, to be a part of the New Testament or the new covenant that we now have with him. The old has passed. Behold, all things are new. And Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, is the new covenant that we have. A few verses to support this. Maybe a little more plainly spelled out in Luke 22 and 20. That's where their account of this event is in Luke. He says, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant required strict obedience to a law. 
It handed down a number of rules and laws, 600 and some odd. And you had to follow those and to be pure at all times. And there was a requirement for animal sacrifices. That was the old covenant that was set in place. But the reality is no one save Jesus Christ was ever fully able to fulfill that law and to actually follow those commands. Which is why we needed a Savior. Which is why we have a new covenant that is His blood and His sacrifice. And that's why we talk about it. That's why we sing about it. That's why it sounds maybe perhaps so strange to so many people, but it's not something that we should ever shy away from when we preach the gospel because it is His blood that is the new covenant. It is His blood that is the New Testament, and it was required to be shed on our behalf for the remissions of sin. There is no other way you can come to God but by Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8 and 6 reminds us, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant He mediates is better, since it is enacted on a better promise. Brothers and sisters, here's the reality. When we take this communion... When we have the Lord's Supper and we think about the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, let us never forget the, um, what this cost Him and why He did it. Let us hold this in high regard to remember that we are born separated from God. We remain separated from God. And as we sin, we are even more separated from God. And the only way that we can be reunited with Him and return to Him is His sacrifice, not mine. Nothing I can do can earn my way into heaven. No action that I can take, no deeds that I can do can overcome the separation that is between me and a holy God. And so Jesus Christ is the way, is the door, is the truth, is the sacrifice. And His blood shed for me is what provides all of those things. This is so vitally important. This is not something that we should just be comfortable with as a ritual. It should be something that we take in and we think about and we contemplate. And the time in and, and which you'll see here in a few minutes, if you haven't ever picked up on this, when I ask for us to silently reflect after we have received and before we partake, is a time for us to consider the body that was broken. A time for us to consider the blood that was shed on our behalf and to take these things in and to sit with them for just a few moments to understand the need and the power behind all of this. There is no other way but by the blood of Christ. We also have a tradition. Comes out of verse 30 back in Matthew. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And we'll typically sing Amazing Grace or something like that. But doing a little bit of research, I come to find out there's a very traditional set of hymns that were sung at Passover. It's very likely we still have those hymns, and it's very likely we could sing them. So maybe at some point we should do that. Particularly Psalms 113 through 118 were sung in a traditional setting before, during, and after Passover. And so we may very well have the actual words that Christ himself and his disciples sung as they left. 
So maybe someday we can look into that as well. But regardless, we have here set before us Christ himself setting all of this up. And then I want to turn for just a few minutes to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here we have the Apostle Paul who is teaching the Corinthians through a letter and he is warning them about idolatry. Giving them instruction on how they should act and they should behave. And he includes a section talking about the Lord's Supper or Communion in here and gives instruction that we should consider and follow as well. So 1 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 10, in verse 16. So I will read this and again consider the context here talking about idol worship and warnings against it. It reads as follows, The cup of blessings which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we are, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of the one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? But what say I then? that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and drink of the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And so again, this may sound a little confusing. That's why I talked about the idols before. What we have to understand is the battle that's going on, even in the early church, only a few, uh, maybe a decade or, or, or later or two after what we read in Acts, we have all kinds of wrong teachings that have come inside of the church. And we have people who are saying, well, no, no, I want the blessing that comes from following the Lord and partaking of the Lord's Supper. But I also want to go out and I want to worship demons and I want to eat food sacrificed to them. And what Paul is instructing us is you cannot mix these two things. To make it very plain, what the scripture says, you are either for God or you are against him. We cannot mix these two things. We have this idea amongst us that somehow there's the the spiritual world and then there's the physical world and we do our spiritual world things on Sunday and everything else we do during the rest of the week as though these two things never meet. And the reality is there is one world and certainly there is a spiritual element to where we are at, but we cannot separate our lives in two different directions. We cannot leave Friday and Saturday night worshiping the devil by the actions that we partake and come in Sunday morning And try and bless the Lord. It doesn't work. It even says here, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? And so this is why, among many other reasons and many other verses, that we follow a very important practice in this church, that you must have a testimony of salvation of and by Jesus Christ and His blood before you partake in the Lord's Supper. Because the reality comes, as harsh as this is, if you have never been saved, then you are an enemy of God. And what does an enemy of God have to do with us? Do you want to provoke him? (laughs) 
Bible says, do you think we're stronger than he is? Be very careful about this. I think Paul is describing that this cup and this bread are the communion of believers. Those of us who have had an experience with Christ and know that we have been saved, know that he knows us and that we know him. The scripture talks about that repeatedly in both directions. Let me read these two verses in a different translations. Verse 16 and 17 reads as follows. Is the cup of blessings which we bless at the Lord's Supper not a sharing in the blood of Christ? Indeed it is. Is the bread which we break not a sharing of the body of Christ? Indeed it is. Since there is one bread, we believers who are many united into one body. For we are all partake of the one bread which represents the body of Christ. I thought about this over the last few weeks, and I thought about this idea that we are one, we are united as one. As different as we may be in some cases, we are united as one, and that one thing that unites us is Jesus Christ. It is nothing that we have in common here on earth. It is the, uh, the communion that we have with Jesus Christ that brings us together. That's why this morning we hear the beautiful testimony of a spiritual father. That's why many of us will repeatedly say how close we are with our spiritual brothers and sisters at this church. Because we are communing, we are joining together, not in each other, not in anything that man made, but in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. This is what we have in common. This is what brings us together. Go back if you want to, to read the first chapter and a half of Acts. These were not all Jewish people living together happily. These were people from all over the world who spoke different languages, who looked different, who had different ways of dressing, different accents, different customs, and yet they came together. Why? Because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. It is the great uniting principle among all of us. No matter where we're from, no matter our race or our gender or anything about us, we unite together around a central theme and a central person, and that is Jesus Christ. And we become one through him. And as I began to contemplate that, as I said in the last few weeks, I began to even more appreciate the fact that we have taken on a, a newer custom, at least for some time in this church, and we made our own communion bread. And what you don't know that I do is it was rolled out as one piece of bread, one loaf. And I think that may be a little important. Because even though the body is broken into many pieces, we are yet one in him. And so as we take communion, not only should we consider that we are communing and acting and becoming one with him, but we are also one with each other, those of us who have a testimony of God's salvation for us. We must make sure that we are not engaging as we do this in idol worship either. And so we gather today to celebrate 
his death, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, and certainly his resurrection. The power in all of this is in that. And I'm thankful that we can do this together as one, as a group of people who believe Jesus Christ and the fellowship that we have with him and with Christ. Let me turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a beautiful chapter. It's a chapter of amazing encouragement. It's a chapter that records Jesus Christ and his prayer over us, the believers, over us in the church. In particular, let me read... Beginning with verse, let me start with verse 20. I'll read for a little ways. John chapter 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That's you. That's you. If you've never realized this before, if you've never seen the power in this, stop just for a second. It is perhaps easy for us to read these words from thousands of years ago and think, well, Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus or Jesus is talking to his disciples. But does Jesus ever talk to me? Yes. Yes, he does. Right here. Right here, he's talking to those of us who will believe, who shall believe. Neither I pray for these alone, as in his disciples who were there listening, but to them also which shall believe on me through their word. And what does he say about us? That they shall be one, as thou, Father, art in me. And I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. One, that we should fellowship and commune as one. Jesus Christ prayed to his Father that we would be like him and his father. And Jesus didn't do anything the father didn't show him to do first. I mentioned this a few Sundays back. Jesus Christ would look up and he would see what the father does and he would do the same thing here on earth. He and the father were one. And what does he pray for us? That we would be one as well. One together in body here on earth and one together with him. That they may all be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. 
What power and what glory is here? Not of my own, but of Jesus Christ, who's saying, God, I want them to be one in us as I am in you. And why do we want this? So that the world sees who we are. So that the world will know the power of God. And all you have to do is turn back to Acts. And what does it say happened? They were functioning as one. They were breaking bread. They were studying the doctrine. They were going to their houses. And the world would look at them and go, who are these people? Should the world not look to us today and say, who are these people? Not only in question, maybe because we do some peculiar customs and practices such as this. But certainly because of our love for one another, the scripture tells us that that's how the world knows who we are, because we love each other, because we commune and we fellowship with each other, just as Jesus Christ did with his father. You want to spread the gospel? Love each other. You want to spread the gospel? Start by having a meal together. You want to spread the gospel? Start by studying the doctrine. You want to study the gospel? Start by praying and praying with each other. Brothers and sisters, the impact we have with this world has nothing to do with our effort externally other than being obedient to God. It is all the power of God to save. It is the power of God to move among people. And all we're asked to do is to simply be obedient to what it is that he's asked us to do. And boy, do we try and complicate that. We mentioned this morning, there's a lot of stuff in the world going on right now. That doesn't look pretty. You know the answer for all of that? It's the body that was broken and the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ. Because the power of God changes lives. That's what we're celebrating. That's what we're remembering. That's what we're doing today. And we're doing it together as believers who know the truth of God because we have experienced the truth of God and we have been forgiven. And when the world looks at us, they hopefully, and I think will see, something's different. It's the love of God, as Paul would say, that compels us and moves us forward where we get our strength that they may be all one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me brothers and sisters it is our absolute duty And I believe scripturally so to tell the world about our Savior. And one of the best ways we can do that is to simply live the life he told us to under the new covenant. To love each other and to fellowship with each other. And one of the ways that we pause to carefully remember and to celebrate these things is to do This in remembrance of me. And so in just a minute, we're going to ask a few folks to come forward. We're going to bless and pray. We're going to sing. 
I'm going to ask you to reflect on what God has done for your lives. But again, I ask you to be cautious. If you know that you know that you know, if you know that you know the Lord, then we invite you to partake. If you don't know, or if you know that you don't, this isn't for you. And that kind of hurts, doesn't it? But the reality is this. There is something different. That difference is Christ. And that difference is what Christ did for me, not what I did for him. The only thing I had to do is believe. But because of what he's done for me, I'm able to have fellowship with him and fellowship with you. And so I ask that we consider these things carefully, that we reflect on them appropriately, and that we commune not only just with each other, but with the one who shed his blood and broke his body for us. So I'd ask those who are serving to come forward, please.